all the world, share the good news with everybody, uh, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've taught you, teaching them to obey, and I'm with you while you're doing it until you come see me face to face. All right? That's the Great Commission. So this morning, let's welcome Matt Casey as he shares his story with us. Yeah. All right, my name you're is gonna Matt. keep me on track. No, you keep me on track. Oh, I'm gonna keep. Well, you keep me on track. A, I'll keep you on track. I'm a hardcore talker. I will just keep going for the next six hours. Yeah. Uh, so my here name is Matt Casey. I was born in Southern Illinois, a place called Mount Vernon. My, I'm sorry. Do Shout you? out. So do Shout I. Shout out. <laughs> Mount Vernon. <laughs> the real question is, how do you think about it? <laughs> yeah, she turns her head. She knows. Uh, so I was born there. My dad, mom, of course, had me. That's the way it all plays. Um, we kind of got raised in a church when I was really young. Um, that was really cool. I got a couple of photos recently of me holding like a stop sign and it says stop and tell someone about Jesus. It was really cool. But then we would go home after service and then my dad would beat my mom because my mom would look at a pastor, look at someone in the church and say hi. So I wanted nothing to do with the church at all. Um, from that point, all the way into junior high. Wanted nothing to do with it. Had big issues with authority. My mom and dad got divorced. Whole bunch of stuff in between that. Pretty rough. Then turn around. I got kicked out of school. Got sent to a junior, uh, an alternative school for 7th and 8th grade. They turn around and kept just pushing you through to try to get you just educated, basically. I had a big issue with authorities, like I said. Did not like anybody who would tell me what to do. Or had the power to tell me what to do. So I would wind up just raging against that machine pretty heavily. Uh, I'd fight. I'd kick. I'd scream. Me and my stepdad would get into fights. Me and my mom would get into arguments. I would leave for a week at a time. It didn't matter. I was gone. Didn't care. Um, then my mom moved us out to the middle of nowhere when we got back to high school. When I say nowhere, 15 miles in the country. We came from Mount Vernon, like I said. The population is like 17,000. Still pretty small city. Then she moved us out to five villages that equaled 300 people. Hmm. So we were in the middle of nowhere, and that's where I found the love of my life, my wife. I'm still married today, still love her today, fall in love with her every day. She's an amazing woman. But because of that authority issue, all those things, we moved out here to San Diego. I wasn't used to being told what to do, how to handle anything really my mom did everything for us and i was a big baby so she did our laundry she did our dishes she did everything so my wife was literally teaching me how to do these things didn't like it one day she's like you need to take out the trash and i was like done tired of hearing my wife all, like, tell me that. two decades of yes. frustration yeah exactly just out. all of a sudden one deal and like i said my dad had a rage issue and so did i so i'd been praying about that for years i'd found christ in junior high i forgot to mention that um, from that alternative school, a guy named Matt Renault pulled us to the side. He knew I knew how to do drywall and stuff like that, so I didn't know they were building a church, and he had us going to this Harley shop building rooms all in that whole mix. Met these guys. They were awesome. I gave my life to Jesus. Brought a ton of people to that church. Okay, wait a minute. Sorry, gave, I'm, I'm going back no, and forth. No, no, no. You're doing good. You gave your life to Jesus through a bunch of guys? Through a bunch of guys. Riding Harleys? No, they weren't even riding Harleys. Well, some of them were. But one of them was a teacher that was in the alternative school with us. He was, they were different. They weren't, I'm not used to these type of guys. Like my mom, she dated guys that were doing tattoos in our living room. They were completely loaded, big hair band, 
the whole like 80s rockers, big hair band style. That's my mom partied. We all partied. Um, then we got into the alternative school, meeting Matt Renault and a couple other guys that were there. Met the pastor, didn't know these guys were preachers and pastors and all that stuff. The next thing I know, I'm giving my life to Jesus, really seeing what men look like instead of just the examples of like my uncles and my dad and the people around us who were just ragers. That's no other way to say it. They were pretty bad dudes. Um, my dad's always in trouble. I wouldn't see him for months at a time, that whole kind of thing. Turn around, giving my life to Jesus, like I said, in junior high, got to high school, got away from everybody and everything. My mom was afraid I was going to be stuck back in that same lifestyle with old friends. Moved us out there, gave my life to Jesus, like I said, always, always giving my life to Jesus, and then turn around, left. Didn't want anything to do with it again. Hung out with the pastor, his family. Didn't like exactly what they were doing a lot of times, but you know, we all make mistakes, so that's how I kind of looked at it, and I just kept myself back from it. Walked away, didn't, couldn't get to that same church that I loved, so I just stayed away from all of it together. We moved out to San Diego, like I was saying. Got here, the trash, trash incident happened, and I was pretty mad, pretty frustrated, and I chucked a remote across the room. Boom, smashed it behind my wife's head. Didn't hear, thank God. It was the one thing that it, it internally killed me. Hmm. Because I never wanted to be like my dad at all. Hmm. I mean, just the thought of that just destroyed me. And she says she never said this, but I deliberately heard her say, you need to go to church or something. And I was like, okay. That next Tuesday night came because her uncle had been begging me to go to the men's group with him out at Horizon. So I went. Gave my life back to Jesus. And everything from that point hasn't been mine anymore. Um, one of the hardest things in my life is to know that I'm supposed to give everything that I had to God and submit my authority that I thought was mine and hand it to him and hand it to him. That was a very difficult point in my life to be able to go that thing I raged against and go, okay, I can't see you. I don't know you. I don't know where you are so far away, but here today mm-hmm. I'm handing you everything and I'm submitting to who you are. Mm-hmm. From that moment on, I have had many amazing encounters with God, with yeah. people, with friends, on, on, and on. And God has just continuously changed my life all the time, continually putting authority figures in my life that can call me out and put me in check. And I had to learn that that authority was put in my life so I can have freedom. Um, that was one of the biggest things that I learned through all of that. Wow. Really stepping back and going, oh, I don't, I don't have to worry about that because he does. God gave him that authority at this point. Yeah. But God still adds things as we go, and he's teaching me as I go. But it's pretty amazing uh, how, how much God's changed in our life, how much he's blessed it, awesome. and continuously. Awesome. Great testimony, man. Great testimony. Appreciate it. Yeah. I bet, you, I bet you the day that you relinquished your authority and you gave yourself completely to God, I bet you you experienced a peace inside of you that you had not up to that point. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It was rough. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Come here, man. I appreciate that. Good stuff. You know, as uh, Matt and I were talking about his testimony this week, he talked about going to that men's group, and he said it was the community that he found within real men, godly men, that were humble but truly men, and the way they loved each other 
was the family he never had. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about today. So that testimony dovetails perfectly into what I want to talk about today. Yeah. Oh, and so we, uh, well, we're going to do that. We'll do that at the end since I'm already into this. So Mark is headed to Guadalajara um, next Saturday and Sunday to uh, an amazing um, set of meetings. And we're going to pray for him before um, we're done today, launch him uh, down to Mexico. Great story there. So I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, Gandhi, how many of you know who Gandhi is? You can raise your hands. How many of you do not know? You can raise your hands and nobody's looking. Gandhi, one of the greatest spiritual leaders in the history of the world, died in 1948, was assassinated. He was intrigued with Christianity. He read the Gospels. He was intrigued with Jesus. So he decided to go to a Christian church in Calcutta. And as he went there, he was, he, was, he was approached by the ushers at the door, and they said to him, you're not welcome here, because, you, because this is only for high, cla- high caste uh, people and for whites only. And this was his response, quote from Mahatma Gandhi, I would be a Christian if it wasn't for Christians. That's devastating. Someone said to me when I mentioned this to them, they said, yeah, but that was cultural back then. It wasn't kingdom culture. See, our kingdom culture is counterculture. That, that's the problem with the church is that we, become, we look like the world, and so there is no differentiation whatsoever. And, uh, and so he ended up telling a missionary, here's another quote from him, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I had a young person tell me this week that because of the way that she has seen Christians behave over the last two years, she has walked away from the church and she is really struggling in her faith in God. I had another person tell me recently they uh, informed me that there was uh, somebody who used to go to this church but when we as the leadership decided what we were going to do with the mask mandate the way the people were talking about the leadership of this church was so disheartening to him he said i can't be a part of that church anymore he left he goes to another church now I think he'll probably run into the same kind of people over there because people are people. I wish he had stayed to help us be more Christ-like during the pandemic. But it wasn't the disagreement that, 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 that repelled him. It was the attitude, the speech, and the behavior, the ungodly behavior of people in this body toward the leadership. In Gandhi's case, it was the racism and classism and the rejection that turned him off to Christianity. To the young person, the de-churched I now call her, it was the unloving, ungodly behavior of believers throughout the pandemic, the political stuff, the vaccine stuff, all of that. Just the way people are hurting each other. Um, she was like, I, I, I'm confused. And then for the person that left our church, it was the dishonoring behavior of the members that caused them to leave. The common denominator in all of these examples was the lack of love and humility, which breaks down the unity of the church. 
The reason I'm talking about this today isn't to rebuke our church because many churches like ours who came through the pandemic were purged. It's, it, was a, it, was a, uh, it, was, it was a trial by fire. And so what I tell people now when people say, you know, well, how's your church? I'm like, man, it's better than ever. Every pastor that I am friends with, and I'm friends with a couple hundred pastors here in San Diego, say our churches are a lot smaller but better than ever because the people have decided what really matters Jesus, one another, and the lost. It's like, let's get our eyes back on the ball, right? Amen? So this isn't a corrective message. This isn't me coming out to rebuke you today. It's me talking to us, the people of God, and the hopefully the larger us, the big C church, that we have got to be careful with how we are representing Jesus to the world. We're in a series, none too far, right? And here's what I believe the Lord said to me. You've heard me say this all year long. In my December fast and prayer, I believe he said, I said, Jesus, what are you doing in 2022? And I believe he said to me, the restoration of the church for the salvation of the world. So up to this point, I've been talking about the salvation of the world. We've been talking about uh, you know, people that are far from God and how to reach them. We're the link in the chain. Jesus is reaching them through us. But today I want to talk about the restoration of the church peace. Because you and I cannot, he cannot, I wish the world could see Jesus in spite of us. Unfortunately, they see, the, they see Jesus in us and through us. Part of the restoration of the church, which I've been talking about this year, is, this, is restoring our focus, restoring our sight, restoring our purpose. But it's also restoring our relationships. Because the restoration of the church is the restoration of our unity, which also is the restoration of our reach. You know, Jesus uh, said to the first disciples, come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Now, I'm going to show you a picture of a fishing net here. This is uh, just a, you know, a uh, average fishing net, right? And so what the fishers would do, they take this net and they throw it out and it would catch as many fish and they draw it back in, right? That's the church. That's the big C church. We are a huge net in Jesus's hands on the earth and he's thrown it out globally to catch as many souls as he can to spend eternity with him in heaven. That's the commission, co-Jesus and the church of the church. That's the commission. Every local church is got like a hand net, right? And so whether your church is, you know, five or 50 or 5,000 or 50,000, it's, it's a single net. So every, when we say the global church, the global church is a bunch of small churches, individual churches, local churches all over the planet. That makes the big C. So all the small C's end up making the big C, right? So with the church. Over the last couple of years, and again, you know, I, I talked to a lot of pastors and we're doing pastors conferences. I have a third one coming up with Miles McPherson and Robert Herber over at, uh, over at All People's Church and a couple others. And uh, we're bringing in this, this uh, next month, we've decided to call up uh, the guys and the gals who have been serving in San Diego County for 50 plus years. And we're gathering as many pastors as we can together. We're putting up the old dogs up on the, on the platform. And we're saying, talk to us. How did you guys do this for 50 plus years? Like, how do you stay in the game? 
And so that's coming up in just a few weeks because the church now, uh, our net is, is fragmented and fractured and torn apart. And so this is like what local churches look like right now. And every one of those squares represents a relationship. How many of you with integrity, with honesty, could raise your hand and say, I know a relationship, a Christian relationship that has been torn because of the, the, the storm of the last couple of years. Just raise your hand. If you can say, you know, a Christian relationship that has been torn apart. Yeah, it, it's, it's devastating. So what do you do? Well, when fishers nets break or are torn, you repair them. And so this is where we're at right now is we are repairing churches. We're repairing our relationships where Jesus is repairing, restoring the body of Christ so that he can reach the world through us. Can I hear a big fat amen? amen. All right. Look, look what the apostle Paul says about this. Ephesians 4 verse 3. Make every effort. Everybody say every effort. In the Greek, that word literally means to strain every nerve you have. Make every effort to keep To keep, that means you have it, the unity of the Spirit. When you give your life to Jesus, you are immediately engrafted into the body and you become one with every other believer on the planet. I'm going to say that again. When you give your life to Jesus, you immediately become a member of his family and you, by the same Spirit, become one with every other believer on the planet. At that point... Satan and our flesh starts ripping at those relationships. And if Satan can rip us apart, he rips our net. That's why Paul says, endeavor to keep the oneness. Everybody say oneness. Mary, what was your word for this year? Solidarity. That's what I'm talking about right up in here. Make every effort to keep the oneness of the Spirit, of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that does this. In the bond of peace. Each individual working together to make the whole successful. I believe the greatest detriment to the church reach in the world is our disunity. Now, I'm not the one that came up with this. I am just a donkey that is given a message from God, which is the word of God. Jesus is the one that said everything I just said. He said it before I did. I'm just re-saying what he said. So let's read what he said. His last prayer on earth, his very last prayer, Christian. It's amazing that it's recorded. Jesus' last prayer as he was on earth. You ready? Here it goes. I am praying not only for them, his current disciples, but also for those who will believe in me because of them, which is us, and their witness about me. The goal, Jesus says, is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Here we go. Ready? So that they may be one heart and mind with us. Then, everybody say then. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. Turn to your neighbor and say, shoot dang. Shoot dang. Yeah, you get that from uh, 
for, for, for the old timers in here, you got that from uh, Mayberry, right? Uh, goober, shoot dang, Andy. Jesus has linked the world's belief that he is the son of God to our unity. You better say shoot dang just one more time because I, I, I know that is, oh, what does shoot dang mean? All right, here we go. He said it again in John 13. Here we go again. John 13. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love one another. Here we go. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So he said, your unity will prove to the world I'm the son of God. And your love to one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. I'm very passionate about this. If you can't tell, I've been very passionate about this since the pandemic and the politics and, and all that struck. I've been very concerned about the condition of the body of Christ and how we would weather the storm. I'm not sure what kind of grade we've gotten in heaven, but I don't think it's an A+. And this is very serious because the world is at stake. We are the church. We are the net that Jesus is using to catch fish. And we got these gaping holes in our net, which is broken relationships. So here's my premise. You tell me what you think about this. Follow the logic. If the proof to the world that Jesus is the son of God, is his followers loving one another, would it not also be true that the proof Jesus is not the son of God is his followers not loving one another? Now we got a hot dog. That was, that was a comment from the front section in case you're curious what that meant. Yeah, yeah. The world looks at the church for hope. And then they look at us. And they don't find it. Because our relationships are no different than theirs. Hate, division, strife, judgment. We're supposed to have a love operating in and among us that is so supernatural that it shocks the world. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment. What was new about that commandment? I mean, the Jewish world already knew that the command was to love God with all your heart, uh, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment to love one another. How's that a new commandment? It had been around for 2,000 years at that point. What was new about it? It had never been done? I don't know. I mean, you know, it's like, well, what's different? I mean, there are people in the world that truly love each other. You know, people who are not, who aren't Christians that love each other, loving families, loving marriages, loving individuals, people that really love each other. Christians aren't the only ones that have, you know, uh, the corner on the market of love. So what's the new, it's not like nobody ever, never loved God before, before Jesus came. I mean, David loved God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. God said, a man after my own heart. I mean, What's new about this commandment to love one another? One little phrase in there. One little phrase. Who can pick it out? Who can find it? Oh, Christian. The new Christian. The new believer in the church. Yeah. 
the new believer in the church is teaching y'all. He says, as I have loved you. Oh, you said that? See, now we have division. We have strife in the house of God. Already. Now he, now, now Jerry's taking credit. Anybody online? You see, and strain every nerve to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. How does Jesus love you? Unconditionally. This is the difference. That word new is the same word used in 2 Corinthians 5 17. Now follow me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That word new is the same word Jesus says a new commandment. It means unused, fresh, novel in regard to form and quality. The new creation is something that's never existed before. The love Jesus has poured into your and my heart is a new kind of love that's never existed before. It's a supernatural love. It's God's love. It's a love that is stronger than anything that could break a human relationship. The question is, are we operating in it? Are we yielding to it? Are we flowing in it? Or are we allowing our pains and our hurts and our differences and our prejudices trump the love of God in our hearts? Are we being led by the Holy Spirit into love or being led by our flesh into hate? Somebody's preaching up in here today, y'all. So you know, you know that, right? Somebody's talking to us. Paul goes on to say that it's through this, now catch this, through this new creation, that's your new identity. Say, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. Say it. See, the new creation means you have now a new identity. That's what got my wife out of an eating disorder when she was in a hospital when she was 14 years old. As she was in the institution, somebody introduced her to her new identity in Christ. And that's the thing that broke her eating disorder. She was not a victim anymore. She was a victor in Christ. This new identity moved by a new kind of love and being led into a new purpose. What's that new purpose? He goes on to say this in 2 Corinthians. Now, all everybody say now. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's your new purpose. You're a son or daughter of God. You're being moved by the love of God to reconcile relationships with one another and with God in the world, those who are farthest from him. But when our relationships in the church break down, then God's ability to reconcile the world to himself through us breaks down. The word reconcile means to make things right, to restore relationships that have been broken down and, re- and to remove enmity. Whew. Look, come on, family. I've been doing this for 35 years. If I held on to every hurt and offense that I've experienced in 35 years in the body of Christ, I would literally just be on the floor, a complete ball of anger and bitterness and resentment and nastiness and hate 
And so would you. If you're going to be an offense magnet, good luck. An offense magnet. The philosophy, being sold, the philosophy being sold into the world right now in the name of compassion is nothing but a strategy of the enemy to destroy the human race. To be easily offended? Microaggressions? Look in the micro. I'm looking for aggressions. I'm like, oh, the way you looked at me, the way you didn't look at me, what you said, what you didn't say, the way you walked, the way you laughed, the way you didn't walk or laugh. It's like, dear God, I don't know if I can even talk to you. Oh, that's an aggression. So we're, we're training... And and I understand you're laughing, but it's no laughing matter. The world is being trained to be offended. That's a trap of the enemy. The Bible says it's the glory of a person to overlook an offense. Love covers a multitude of sin. We're being duped. If you are going to hold on to every offense... Every trespass, every hurt that's ever happened to you, you are going to be like, you got millstones around your neck. And you're, you're probably spiritually, emotionally, mentally right now, you're sitting there and you're going, hallelujah, but you're probably like on the floor under this massive weight of anger and pain and rah, rah, rah. But outside you're going, oh, Shonda, Shonda, Hallelujah. But God sees your heart and he wants you free. Amen. To reconcile means to make things right. Restore relationships. That's who we're supposed We're supposed to be brilliant at this. We're supposed to be the best people on the planet at this relationship thing. That's why Jesus put forgiveness in the daily prayer. And you know where he put it in there? Before the day begins. Because he says, give us this day our daily bread. You don't pray that when the sun sets. And there, forgive those who I trespass against. No, forgive those who, who are going to... Uh, the interpretation of this. Forgive those, Lord. No. I forgive those. I was raised Catholic. I should know this. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive me my trespasses that I'm going to commit today as I, in conjunction with, as I forgive those who are going to trespass against me today. It's a pre-morning prayer. It's going to happen. You're going to offend me. Some of you have. And I'm going to offend you. And some of you have been offended by me. And many of you that aren't here. And you're going to offend each other. The question isn't if you're offended. It's when you're offended. What are you going to do about it? That's a test of your Christianity. It's a test of your character. It's a test of your dependency and humility before Almighty God. Because He has already forgiven you and me. So we must forgive each other. It's not easy. I'd rather eat a bowl of rocks. I'd rather get an ice pick and stick it in my eyeball. I mean, you know, you just... Okay, I'm a little graphic. It's just... No, forgive. And then this is what you got an ice pick. You're doing this to yourself by not forgiving and not releasing. It says to remove enmity. That word enmity is the state of or feeling of being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. That word originates 
from the word that means enemy. Now, what does Jesus say is the source that will enable us to do this? He says it in the very next verse of his last prayer. Here we go. The same glory. Everybody say glory. glory. See, now we've departed the human race. We've departed the super, the, I mean the natural. We've departed counseling, medication. We've, de- we've departed exercise. We've departed self-help books. We're talking about the glory of Almighty God, His presence, His Spirit, His nature. Jesus says, the same glory you gave me, Father, I have given them so that they may be unified. This is not done just through human effort. It takes the Holy Spirit. There, I've quit the ministry so many times, I literally cannot count them. Mark? Yeah. Dennis? April? Like, how many times have we quit? Okay. Can't count. How many times have you wanted to quit your marriage? How many times have you wanted to give up on your kids? How many times do you want to give up on your parents? How many times do you want to give up on your best friend? How many times do you want to give up on your boss? How many times do you want to give up on your coworkers? How, come on, right? How many times? How many times? The ability to work through difficult relationships is the glory of God within us. It's when I go to God and I say, oh, I'm so angry. I don't know if you do that or not, but you should, because he already knows it. It's not like you confess your sin to him. He's like, oh, (laughs) Jesus, I saw them raising their hands in church. I'm shocked. I didn't know that was in their heart until they told us. I just tell them I'm so angry. Oh, I take my walks down by the airport. Sometimes I march faster and harder than other days, you know, oh, And I just pour out my heart before God. My favorite verse in the whole Bible is pour out your heart before God. He is a refuge for us. I just get it out. That's why God loved David so much. It was not because he was perfect. It was because he was honest. Read the Psalms. It's like, wow. I mean, you're going to air out your dirty laundry like that in a book for everybody to read for 4,000 years. David did. That's why God loved him so much. He's like, he's honest. The same glory you've given me, I've given them, so they will be unified and together as we are, I and them and you and me, then they will be mature in this oneness. Ready? Here we go again. And give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way that you've loved me. Woo. The third time he said it. Third time he said it. So what does this look like? Well, here's the apostle Paul gives us a little clue. So then my dear ones talking to us, just as you've always obeyed my instructions with enthusiasm, not only my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation, continue to work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. Jesus bought and paid for our salvation, but you got to work it out now, make it work on Monday morning and Wednesday afternoon and Friday night and Sunday morning on your way to church. And hey, at church too, and even after church in the parking lot. Work out your salvation. What does that look like? Uh, That is cultivate it, bring it to full effect. 
actively pursue spiritual maturity with all inspired fear and trembling, using serious caution and critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of Christ. For it is not your strength, but it's God who is effectively working at work in you both to will and to work that is strengthening, energizing, and creating in you the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. Do everything without murmuring or arguing so that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and guileless, innocent and uncontaminated children of God without blemish in the midst of a morally crooked and spiritually perverted generation among whom you are seen as bright lights, beacons shining out clearly in the world of darkness. That's why God woke me up last year in the middle of the pandemic. He said, he woke me up with this phrase, there's never been a better time for you to shine. And the backdrop of hate and division, the love of God is going to shine brighter if we will flow in it. Do you know Jesus said, who did he say that what the, the peacemakers will be called what? Children of God. Sermon on the Mount. The peacemakers will be called the children of God. We're going to get to that as I close here in just a few minutes. Holding out and offering to everyone the word of life so that in the day into Christ, I will have reason to rejoice greatly because I did not run my race in vain nor labor without results. The pastor here, the preacher is saying, please, believers, be the light of the world. Love where there's hate. Forgive where there's offense. So that you shine as lights representing Jesus to a dark world. So that when I'm done being your pastor, I won't feel like it was all for nothing. I would never say that about you. Paul's saying that about the church back then, but I would never say that about you. Jesus called this being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Okay. Who? Let me see your salt shakers. Lift up your salt shakers. All right. Everybody got your salt shaker? If you don't have a salt shaker, Andy back there is going to bring you a salt shaker and a, and a, and a, and a, mar, uh, uh, a Sharpie. For those of you online, you can go get your salt shaker from the kitchen, get a little Sharpie and write your name on it. Okay. If you don't have a salt shaker, raise your hand and Andy is going to bring you a salt shaker and a pen. You're going to write your name on it. Okay. Jesus says you and I are the salt of the earth. Let me ask you, this is an open, open question here. What does salt do? It, it what? It enhances flavor. It preserves and it heals. Ooh, ooh, ooh. What, Jerry? Raises water temperature. Interesting. You're getting a little deep on it. It's a little scientific. I'll have to look into that later. But I like the three things I've heard so far. It brings out flavor, it preserves, and it heals. You know, I was watching a, uh, a, a Beat Bobby Flay. Anybody like that show on Food Network? My wife and I love watching that, right? Yeah. So one of the challenges, they took away his salt. Exactly. The groan. Yeah. And that's what the devil tries to do 
to the church, to believers, to you who call yourself a follower of Christ, to me. He tries to take away our salt so that the earth will not be preserved. It will not be better and it will not be healed. Jesus calls us the salt of the earth. Did you know that the way that salt heals wounds is it draws salt, salt draws water out of the tissues in a process called osmosis, causing drying effect. When the salt concentration is high enough, this is important, when the salt concentration is high enough, salt kills bacteria through effectively sucking the water out of the cell. Okay, so preserving bringing the, uh, the flavor out of the food and healing. How do salty Christians do this in relationships? What does it mean to preserve? How do you preserve a relationship? Love. Huh? Forgiveness. Yeah. Restore. We reconcile. The way that we, as believers, if our salt content is high enough, is we reconcile, repair relationships. Number two, how do we, how do we bring, how, you know, salt brings flavor out of food, makes the food taste better. How do we do that in relationships? Encouragement. Encouragement. What's that? Time. Spending time with one another, listening to one another, supporting one another. We bring the best out of one another. Salty Christians bring the best out of one another. We believe the best about each other. We're living in a world now that is an untrusting world that automatically believes the worst about somebody. What you said, what you did, how you looked at me. I ain't believing the worst about you. I don't trust. The Bible says that we love believes the best. And then how, does, how do Christians heal in relationships? He, he called us salt. Huh? You got to forgive, prayer, love. We heal wounds. Galatians 6 says, when you see a brother or sister caught in a trespass, judge them. Yeah, Galatians 6. It says, when you see a brother or sister caught in sin, judge them. Know that you are superior to them and better than them. And thank God you're not like that loser no it says in humility restore such a one and then it says love bears each other's burdens jesus says this you are the salt of the earth mark chapter 5 but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor can you make it salty again it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless i believe that is what's happening to the church right now I think we've lost our saltiness and the world is looking at us and saying the church is not helping. I'm not saying this carte blanche. There are some good things that are happening, but boy, we've got a black eye right now. We do not look like the hope of the world to the world right now because the church has been fighting battles that are not our battles to fight. This is my personal conviction. I believe our battle is for souls. 
not all these temporary, secondary issues that have caused us to get entangled with the affairs of this life. And it's sucking us down and it's sucking us into the battle. It's fleshly warfare. My personal conviction. Relationally speaking, salt has high potency, fulfills its purpose, which produces peace. Are you guys following me? All right. The Bible says Jesus had compassion on the multitudes and one, one thing it says is he healed them all. Another time it says that he had saw, he saw the multitudes, had compassion upon them, and he taught them. Isn't that interesting? The Bible says that God's people perish for a lack of knowledge. So I'm bringing some truth to us today to help us be salty again. Now, what causes salt to be potent? Because Jesus just said that if you lose your saltiness, you're worthless as a believer. I don't want to be worthless as a believer. Anybody here want to be worthless as a believer? As long as in the earth, the key is to keep your salt content, the potency of your salt content high. What causes salt to be potent? That's its purity. Back to your word. Salt loses its potency by impurities that are mixed in with it. Now in context, when Jesus gave this teaching about be the salt of the world so you can have peace among yourselves, very interesting correlation there. Very interesting relationship. Have salt among yourselves so that you can have peace with one another. So our saltiness is what causes our relationships to be whole and peace, full of peace. So in context, when he said to his disciples, um, have salt among yourselves. Do you know what was going on right before Jesus taught on that? They were fighting about who's going to be the greatest. They were walking along the road and they were dealing with pride, position, power, exclusivity, and judgment. Does it sound familiar? So let me ask you a question. Can you name some things right now that have decreased the saltiness of followers of Jesus in the world over the last couple of years? Just shout them out. Pride. Greed. What's that? Social media has not helped out at all. Yeah. Fear. Politics. Anxiety. Fear. Because my contention today, family of God, is that we are losing our saltiness. And the way that salt loses its potency is when impurities are mixed in with it, which is why the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea is called the Dead Sea. It's, it, the salt is worthless because of all the impurities that are in it. So let me ask you this. What would cause our salt potency to increase? The Holy Spirit? Love? Forgiveness? More time with God? Honesty? Faithful? How about a little bit of humility? What do you think about that? You might not know it all. We might be able to learn something from each other. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Okay. See that salt shaker? Hold it up. That's you. It's got your name on it, right? Okay. What are you going to do with the person sitting next to you that's being ugly to you, 
They're being prideful. They're being defensive and contentious. They've lied about you. They're calling you names behind your back. What are you? You got it, April. She's dumping the whole thing on Dennis right now, just like this. Come on. Uh, take your salt shaker and just do this, do this over the person next to you. Come on, go ahead. Yeah. See, that is what we are supposed to be doing. Okay. What is coming out of your salt shaker right now? No, I mean, of course, this is a... Wow. I thought I had a much, much uh, congregation with a much higher level of intelligence. Okay, listen. Of course, nothing's coming out of your actual salt shaker right now. Metaphorically, as you were doing this to the person next to you, what was coming out of your salt shaker? Love. Peace. Peace, huh? Compassion. Humility. Forgiveness. There's an ancient salt vow that goes like this. It's actually one in the Old Testament that Dennis and I were talking about this morning. If two people shared salt, they were bound to defend and support one another, even if they were enemies. I'm going to say this again. I want to grab your attention. You guys, everybody, listen to me for a second because we're going to do something here. That includes the tech crew back there. They're playing games on their phone. Okay, listen. Here we go. If two people, this is, a, this is a salt vow. If two people shared salt, they were bound to defend and support one another, even if they were enemies. So now I want you to take your salt shaker and I want you to give it to the person next to you. Or maybe find somebody in the church that you hate and give it to them. Okay, there we go. So now we got Mark and... Jeff sharing right after I said that. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. What just happened here? Mark ended up with three salt shakers. Mark, do you have yours in your hand? Okay, I'm going to trade the mark. You know why? Mark and I have been pastoring together for what, 22, 25 years or whatever? Do you know, 22 years. Do you know how many times I've had to forgive him? <laughs> but in all sincerity, you don't, you don't have a relationship with somebody for 25 years without having to work through some stuff. Can I hear an amen? And sometimes it's been really, really hard. But now he's one of my best friends on the planet. But it's because we have had to forgive each other, be patient with each other, learn from each other. We come at God from two different angles. So we've had to work through issues. We've come, we come through a lot of different things differently. My wife and I have been married 25 years. First couple years are really rough because we didn't really know each other. We had to learn each other. It takes character to stay married for a long time. And I'm not saying if, you, if you've got divorced, I'm not saying, you know, shame on you. It's tough. And sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes you give it all you've got. I'm saying relationships are hard. Parent, child relationships, sibling relationships, they're hard, but we're Christians. We're supposed to be salty. We're supposed to put salt on our relationships, which brings peace. Okay. So Mark, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep yours 
This one's blank. Somebody doesn't have an identity. Alex. Huh? Is that yours? All right, you got to put your name on that and you got to share it with somebody. Okay. Oh, see, that was encouragement. Did you see how she just encouraged me? She said that was a great throw. Okay, so Michaela, that's yours. You have to give that to somebody. Mark, my name's on that, right? And I'm serious about this. I'm going to keep this on my desk because it's a sign to me that we are in a salt covenant together. We've already proven it. This is just symbolic. I want you to keep each other's salt because it will remind you that you're supposed to be in covenant with the people of God. The Bible says that we are to be committed to one another as committed to one another as we are to Jesus Christ himself. John says that if Christ laid down his life for us, ought we not lay down our lives for one another? I'm going to come to a a close with... Oh, my. It is way later than it's ever been. But has this been all right? Is it okay that we got a little, little on today? We needed this. Somebody said we needed it. It's good. Okay, so I'm gonna, then I'm going to finish. Thank you for that. Okay, Romans, what's this look like in real life? Watch this. Paul says to the Roman church, I'm coming to a close here. Believe me. Bless those who persecute you. Now we're going to get practical. We're going to get a little salty in here, okay? Here we go. This is Bible. We're the church. This is our book. Here we go. Bless those who persecute you who cause you harm or hardship. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, share in each other's joy, and weep with those who weep, share in each other's grief. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, conceited, self-important, exclusive, but associate with the humble people, those with a realistic self-view. Do not overestimate yourself. Never repay anyone evil for evil. Take thought for what is right and gracious and proper in the sight of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave the way open for God's wrath. Everybody says amen. And his, <laughs> and his get him, God. Yeah, he's going to get him with mercy. Sorry. All right, here we go. And his judicial righteousness. For it is written in Scripture, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For by doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. And everybody's like, yeah, no. In the Middle East, burning coals on your head was a resource for your fire and to cook with and do that kind of stuff. So it means you're giving them something positive to help them succeed in life. Do not... I just took away a meaningful scripture from a believer right there. They were like, dang it. Do not be overcome and conquered by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul said to the Corinthian church when false teachers were coming in and uh, the Corinthian church was saying to Paul, okay, I tell you, send, us, send us letters that, that uh, you know, commend you to us, that, uh, letters of reference. And Paul says, you don't need letters of reference from me. You are my letter. Can Jesus say that about us? Could he look at us and say, you know, forget about the Bible. Just look at my people. They are the Bible. They are my letters. That's what Paul's saying to the Corinthian church. You don't need a letter from me. You're my letter. 
the way you love each other. You're my letter. Our unity as God's family, His church, is our greatest witness to unbelievers. More than ever, people need to see the unit, that unity is possible and that it's found in the church. I want, I want God to be able to say, I want Jesus to be able to say about the Gathering Place Church what Paul said to the Roman church. Here it is. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in Him is being talked about all over the world. This is my last statement, and then I'm going to do a response time, and we'll come to the Holy Spirit, and then we're going to pray for Mark. It is our responsibility to lay down our pride, our pain, our prejudices, and our preferences, and pick up God's purpose. I want to ask you a couple of questions as we close today. This is the response time, and this is between you and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you a couple of very pointed questions. I'm going to ask you to come to God with integrity and honesty and answer these questions before you and Him. Do you care more about the issues that are dividing you from other believers? Or do you care more about honoring Jesus and partnering with Him to save the world by reconciling with a brother or sister in Christ? I'm going to ask you that question again. Do you care more about the issues that are dividing you from other believers? Or do you care more about honoring Jesus and partnering with Him to save the world by reconciling with your brother or sister in Christ. Now I want you to close your eyes on this one and let's come to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you the question and I'm going to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to bring this up into your heart. Okay? Here's the question. What offenses or secondary differences do you need to lay down to pursue greater unity with God's family? This question's for you online as well. I'm going to ask it again as you come to the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit, say, what offenses or secondary differences do I need to lay down to pursue greater unity with God's family. Now, whatever's coming up in your heart right now, I'm going to ask you to lay them down at the feet of Jesus. Just go ahead and do it right now. pains, what hurts, frustrations. And the last question I want you to ask, in what ways have you allowed your pride to contribute to disunity? In what ways have you allowed your pride to contribute to disunity?
Now I'd ask the Lord to make you salty again. Let's go ahead and ask Him. Say, Lord, remove the impurities from my heart that are making me ineffective and representing you to the world who needs you so desperately. Okay, so go ahead and look at me. How many of you feel like the Lord was showing you some things in your heart, the impurities that were causing your salt to be not very salty? Yeah. For me and you, it's a daily thing. But I'm going to close with this last statement, and then we're going to pray for Mark. I understand as much as you do, because we're all human, I understand what it feels like to be hurt, to be offended, to be betrayed. I get it. I know what it's like to be angry at people who don't see the world the way I do. And I think that their belief systems and their philosophies are hurting people and hurting the world. And I get angry about it, just like you do. But these things in our hearts are causing us to be ineffective as Christians because of the way we relate to others. So I want to say this. Getting over these things and making them secondary, not primary, and forgiving others is not only good for your mental, emotional, spiritual health, and it's not only good for the relationship, but it's good for the world. Because that's our call. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Mark, you want to come on up here? So Mark, um, Mark, I've uh, used up all of our airtime, but uh, if you could just give us a little um, understanding of why you're going down there, what happened last time, and what you're hoping okay, for so, this time. Okay, um, so we've been going down to Guadalajara for over 20 years. It's a very sophisticated city. It's about 8 million people, between 6 and 8 million people. It's the fashion capital of Central and South America. It's not what you'd expect when you go to Mexico. And uh, there's a church down there we've been working with for a long time. And a guy got saved in that church, and he's an AA leader, very high up in Alcoholics Anonymous in the city. Three years ago, just before COVID, Shelly and I were down there, and he had me come and speak to a group of leaders, about 40 leaders, one night, all leaders of small smaller AA groups. <clears throat> and during the message, I was talking about forgiveness, which is really interesting because it's not on the 12 steps. The Lord laid on me forgiveness, and I was talking about shame, and as I was speaking, a girl in the front row put up her hand and said, I want to kill myself. I hate myself. She was touching her own shame. So she came up, and, and we prayed and did an inner healing thing, and she was radically converted. She was set free. She was just lit up. So she sat down, and I went back to keep on teaching. And another guy at the back put his hand up and said, I want what she has. Do that to me. So I had him come up, and it happened again. Then the hands started going up all over the room. Ended up leading more than half of them to the Lord that night. I've never seen anything like this before. It's one of the most powerful things I've ever experienced. So... Flash forward to a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, 
one of the pastors in the big church, uh, we were chatting on email, and uh, he said, Alex wants you to come and speak at an AA conference of leaders down there the end of February. So I said, well, are these AA members or are these AA leaders? He said, no, they're all leaders of small groups, of AA groups. I said, how many will there be? He said, 600. And then uh, two weeks later, last week, he said, maybe 900. So I want you to imagine there'll be six to 900 leaders gathered. And if anything close to what happened three years ago happens with those leaders, we'll be seeing several hundred or more leaders going back to their small groups downloading the gospel so for me I'm pretty sure and I'm not exaggerating this is the most significant thing I've ever done and it's all entirely dependent upon the Holy Spirit what happened the first time was God again we need a sovereign move on these people But forgiveness is the one thing they don't really deal with in the program. They deal with making amends, but they don't deal with forgiving yourself or having God's forgiveness to you or flowing through you. Awesome. So Gary and Kathy and and April and Dennis, you guys come up here in Francisco. Let's lay hands on Mark and let's bless him and let's send him. We're sending church. We want to bless not just this church, not just our city, but the world. And so this is us apostolically sending Mark to Mexico, and God's going to do a revival through the AA uh, organization down in Mexico. Who saw that one coming? None of us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Mary God. Mark, this is what is coming while you were talking. You know the 12 steps that they follow. If God is a God of very practical ways, it's only one step. You take one step towards God. He take one step towards you. If that's forgiveness, that step, that's one step. And that continues and continues and continues. It's one step toward God. He takes one step towards you. And not only in that meeting, with those 900, it's every day. And you can put that. And the Holy Spirit can back you up with that. Thank you, Father. Um. In our pre-prayer, a lot of us prayed for Mark, and and I just want to repeat some of the word that I feel the Lord had for him, but also um, to also say this is a very special assignment for you, Mark, and it's a tidal wave kind of assignment for you where Mm -hmm. what you share and what you do is going to have just like a tidal wave, it's just going to go out and touch areas that have never been touched by the Holy Spirit, have never been touched by the water, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So we just pray God's protection on you as you travel, that you won't look to the left or the right, but you would stay focused on the the assignment, this divine assignment from the throne that he has for you. One of the major doctrines of the church is laying on of hands. Moses laid his hands on Joshua. The early church in Antioch laid their hands on Barnabas and and Paul and sent them out. Uh, There's an apostolic call upon this church to send, and that's what we're doing. And there's power in these hands that we're laying on, in your hands that we're laying on right here. It's a major doctrine of the church. 
laying on of hands. So that's what we're doing today, believing that the power of God is going to flow through this man that we lay hands on with the authority of Jesus Christ and the apostolic anointing that's upon Mark to minister and see not only half of them saved, but all of them saved at this meeting. So, Lord, we lay hands on Mark uh, with the apostolic call, Lord, from this church, the gathering place. We obey you by laying on of hands and sending him to preach the gospel to these 900 leaders, Lord, Mm -hmm. that need to hear about forgiveness, need to hear about the blood, need to hear the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray you would move mightily like that wave, God, through Paul, through Mark, Lord, this, uh, this apostle Paul right here of living waters flowing, rivers of living waters flowing through that congregation. Uh, Lord, we send him now in Jesus' name. I was just reminded of, of your testimony, and you're, you were in this place of unforgiveness and, and anger, and when you were going to those, those meetings with your friends that, who became your friends. And so you have that authority over this. And so, Lord, I just pray that you use this authority that Mark is walking in, this authority over for, and how to forgive, how to truly be sensitive and to forgive. And the other areas of the, it may be a totally different message. You may give him a totally different message, but it's your message, Lord. And I just, I, I'm thankful that he hears from you and that he's open to you. And we just pray blessing on this time of ministry, Lord. In Jesus' name. I saw an angel that's going to cover you. And he held in his hand this book, and it was wide open. And I could see him just pressing it, pressing it, pressing it, pressing it. And it had this gold ribbon that marked the page. And as he pressed it forward, it began to drip gold, just cold gold. It was just dripping, and he swarmed over the crowd, and it touched people's shoulders. It touched people's heads. It touched them. So, God, send, send this angel that you have commissioned to go with Mark and Shell or, and, and give him the perfect page in the Word, God, the words that are going to bring the deliverance, that are going to... Put on them the gold that you have given Mark to speak, God, and the gold that only comes from the Spirit that can heal and restore and go out and spread the word. And I thank you, God. I thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. That's really cool. Um, The message I'm going to speak, I'm starting with forgiveness is the currency of the kingdom of God. Oh, my goodness. It's the coin. The gold. Yeah, I'm going to hope. Oh, my God. I'm going to hold up a coin. I'm going to say, this is the currency of the kingdom of heaven. On one side of the coin is the cross. And it says, see how much you have been forgiven. And on the other side, it says, go and forgive others the same way. So that's the illustration I'm going to use. Wow. That's you guys catch currency. that? You, put the, you connect those dots? Woo! Oh, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I love that. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Go be the salt of the world. Salt of the earth. God bless.